0: What is up, guys, and welcome to Montreal Madness with your host, Tony Montreal. Well, guys, it's back. After a month-long delay and lots of speculation about whether the Big Ten will play, well, that date has finally arrived. On October 24th, the Penn State Nittany Lions are back. We are back, and we are playing Indiana on Saturday at 3.30 for the Big Ten's uh, first weekend of games of the 2020 college football season. Now, as we all know, Micah Parsons, in the offseason, whenever all this COVID stuff was announced, he announced that he was not going to be partaking in the 2020 uh, college football season. He was going to take the year off to get ready to ultimately declare himself for the 2021 NFL Draft. And, you know, you take an All-American linebacker like Micah Parsons. He was a number number one rated linebacker coming into this season um, in the whole country. So for sure, that is a big time loss for that Penn State defense. Uh, that defense was really centered ...around him last year, and we saw his game elevate to heights where it was almost uh, breathtaking... ...just to see the plays that he made, his athletic ability, and his maturity um, as a young starting linebacker. You know, when he came um, to this Penn State team, he was formidably a wrestler. Uh, That's what he really wanted to do. That was his passion... And, you know, yes, he did play high school football and everything, but his passion was wrestling. Um, So when he came into this uh, Penn State football team a couple years ago, it was a really big unknown with how Micah Parsons would do um, as a linebacker, because, like I said, he was really big in the wrestling. That was his focal point um, throughout high school. But Boy, did he ever make that transition from the wrestling mat to the football field look like a piece of cake. I mean, that guy, uh, he was just flying around the ball. I mean, he was just one of the best linebackers, not only in Penn State history, but in all of college football in 2019. So that right there is a big loss for Penn State coming into this season. Another loss for Penn State this year it came out at the beginning of this week that um, starting uh, running back Journey Brown um, will most likely not play this season due to uh, medical reasons. Now uh, James Franklin and uh, Penn State itself they have not announced his medical condition as of yet. they really they are really keeping that under wraps and hush hush. So it's just speculation as to what happened to him uh, with his health. Personally, I just wish Journey Brown um, the best with everything he's going through right now. I hope he gets better soon. I hope whatever he's dealing with goes away and everything. I think every Penn State football fan would wish my sentiments as well. But however, even with those two losses, um, one to Journey Brown and the biggest one with Micah Parsons. This Penn State football team, according to their first official uh, depth chart being released after James Franklin's press conference on Tuesday, it still looks pretty stout. Now, obviously in offense, it's led by quarterback Sean Clifford. Um, you know, he's a junior this year. He's had one years. He's had one year of starter experience under his belt and as the season progressed last year, Sean Clifford just looked way more comfortable, you know, just as a, a quarterback with his throws, um, reading a defense, um, knowing, knowing the play calling and everything like that. He matured so much at the quarterback position in just a few games. I mean, he was on a roll there through the middle of the season. Now, as we all know, heading into the Minnesota game, he was already a little banged up. Afterwards, um, he couldn't finish the Minnesota game with an injury. He ultimately missed the next game, which was Ohio State. And then, you know, he came back after that. But like you said, he was still dealing with an injury. And he just wasn't that same type of player um, dealing with that injury late in the year. Um, now, whenever they played their bowl game against Memphis in late December, now he looked really good in that game. Once he uh, got fully healthy, you know, with that month-long um, waiting period from the last game of the regular season to their bowl game, so he did look a lot better against Memphis when he was fully healthy and everything. He made one bad throw that even James Franklin, when he was coming off the sidelines after the turnover, James Franklin got in his face a little bit, saying, "You know, hey, what the heck? What did you see there? You know, you should have never thrown that ball in the first place." So, if a young quarterback like that. You're going to have those types of throws and everything. But I think after just one year maturity, one year of getting starters experience under his belt, you're going to see a newly improved Sean Clifford right off the bat against Indiana. I expect him to uh, hit almost every throw um, he makes. I expect him to use his legs like he was really doing um during the middle of the season, using his gifted athletic ability to scramble around the pocket and if nothing's there, if a defense is playing man coverage without a spy, to just find the hole and take off take off and gain yardage yardage and first downs from there. You know, I just expect him to be like a Trace McSorley in a way to where he can just extend plays with his legs, throw the ball down the field, and, you know, hit a couple of big plays to, you know, his tight ends and his wide receivers. So I'm looking forward to a really big year uh, with Sean Clifford uh, coming back as the quarterback. Now, as far as the running backs are concerned, yes, is Penn State going to miss Journey Brown? Hell yeah, they are. I mean, he was one of the best running backs in the latter half of the year in 2019. I mean, he was just putting, you know, 100 yards a game on opposing defenses. He was racking up a yard of, um, you know, touchdowns. He was catching the ball the backfield a lot. He was just a do-it-all running back, and he really established himself late in the year as the premier running back for Penn State. However, though, their depth at running back is... Is just outstanding. So heading into the year, you know, Noah Kane, he's listed as the starter right now. He played as a as a freshman last year, and during the um after the Iowa game where he went off for a hundred yards, and he really looked like the running back that Penn State was going to establish as their starter throughout the whole year. But injuries uh sort sort of uh unscheduled that for Noah Kane. I know a lot of fans, they were um cheering and wanting Noah Kane to start. But ultimately, due to injuries to Noah Kane a little bit, that really set Journey Brown as the premier starter for Penn State last year. But now it's, you know, as we as we circle the wagon here, it looks like Noah Kane's going to be the starter. But they should not lose really anything in the running back position. Because then, you know, the really big surprise out of the running back group in camp has been Devin Ford. Apparently he's made leaps and bounds to last year. He's added a good 10 to 15 pounds to his weight to be a little bit more physical. Um, You know, Devin Ford, he's going to be a really good, solid number two running back for this team. And then you have a couple of true freshmen who are going to be making the team in Kazea Holmes and uh, Kevon Lee. Uh, Really two outstanding freshmen, according to a lot of the people that are able to, you know, go to training camps and watch them practice and everything. They look like two big studs to watch out for in their years at Penn State. And I think it goes without saying that, you know, Penn State shouldn't have to worry at all about the tight end position with Pat Fryermuth. You know he's only one touchdown away from breaking um, the career touchdowns record uh, for Penn State as a tight end, passing Mike Gasicki on the all-time Penn State list. I mean Pat Ferrari Muth, he is like a baby Gronkowski. He's a Gron- he's a Gronkowski type in the making. I mean he has the physique of Gronk. Uh, he has hands um like you've never seen him before, and he can catch any ball that's thrown that's thrown to his way. He is just that gifted as a tight end, as a pass catcher. And the most underrated thing about Pat Frymuth is that he's one hell of a run blocker. I mean, you go back and watch some of the film from their games last year. I don't know how many times, countless times, Pratt Fryermuth laid down a key block to spring the likes of Jeremy Brown or Noah Kane or Devin Ford for a big run. So he's a really big part of not only the passing game but in the run blocking game as well. He's just an all around great tight end. Um, he's probably one of the uh, one of the top three or four best tight ends in the country. So I am really looking forward to how well, um, how better he can even get in his uh, most likely his final year at Penn State before he enters the draft in uh 2021 so nittany lions fans you have nothing to worry about at the tight end position uh pratt friarmuth you know he is the real deal he is probably the, one of the best all-around players that penn state has on its roster right now so you don't have to worry anything about the tight end position because pratt friarmuth he has got that covered now the biggest question mark, not only on this Penn State offense, but this whole Penn State team, has got to be the wide receiver position. As we all know from watching this team from last year, the wide receivers were probably the weakest link on this Penn State football team last year, because outside of you know KJ Hamler, who's now the Denver, Denver Broncos, and Pat Fryermuth. Sean Clifford couldn't throw the ball to anybody else. I mean, you couldn't rely on any of the other wide receivers last year to just freaking catch the ball. I mean, I don't know how many times where Sean Clifford would hit a wide receiver outside of KJ and Pat, you know, where they would actually catch the ball. I mean, it was difficult for these wide receivers just to do the fundamentals at the wide receiver position. I mean, it was almost laughable at times at how just flat-out lousy um, they were you know, outside of those two guys that that I mentioned, you know, just, you know, from dropping balls to, you know, missing routes, you know, just miscommunication. So it's going to be a really tough test to see how well this uh, wide receiver group for Penn State does this year, because ultimately, in order for Penn State to, you know, beat the Ohio States um, in the country, to make it to the Big Ten Championship, to win the Big Ten Championship, and then ultimately make it into the college football playoff, their wide receiver, uh, you know, players. That group has to excel this year, um, way more so than last year, to say the least. Because as we all know, you know, college football, the NFL, it is a passing league now. It's not like even ten years ago, where like the Alabamas, the Georgias, um, you know, even Penn State back, you know, ten years ago uh, or so, you know, you could hand hand the rock off to your running back, run it thirty to thirty thirty to forty times a game and you can you know win a lot of games doing that and win championships doing that. Uh, you can't to you can't do that in today's version of football. It's all about passing, it's all about the air attack. That's how you put up points against really big strong and athletic uh, defenders on the field. you know you just have to be able to pass the ball through the air, you know put up a lot of points and everything and how you do that is through throwing the ball. So it's gonna it's going to be up to this wide receiver group to pull their own weight and to help Sean Clifford and this offense get on a roll early and to just gain confidence within that wide receiver group, you know, knowing that they can go out and make plays and that you know Clifford can rely on them to make contested catches and to get yards after the catch and just help out that Penn State offense in general. So as of right now, Penn State uh, has listed Jawan Johnson as their number one starting wide receiver going uh, into the game against Indiana. Now, Jawan Johnson, he was KJ Hamler's number two. Um, he you know was a was aligned constantly opposite of KJ Hamler. Um, you know he made a few decent plays last year. Um, he wasn't really a guy who dropped a lot of passes. He just had a hard time getting open. And Sean Clifford had a fine time you know, reading him and seeing him get open because he was just getting draped all over. So hopefully during training camp and the offseason, he made a lot of improvements to him on how to run routes and how to get open create space for himself and everything. Because that was something that he was not doing well last year. And although he wasn't those wide receivers that were dropping passes, he just quite frankly could not get open. So hopefully he made some strides during, strides during training camp this year. Um, on the opposite of uh, Dotson, you have senior Cam Sullivan-Brown, to where he beat out Daniel George in training camp this year. Now, Cam Sullivan-Brown, he's kind of an unknown even as a senior. He never really got significant snaps throughout his um, whole career at Penn State up until this point. So we'll see right from the get-go against Indiana um, how well this guy does. And then the really the one person to really look out for at this Penn State wide receiver position is true freshman Parker Washington. Now, I guess from a lot of people who are saying, you know, watching, you know, Penn State training camp and everything like that, he's 5'10, 200 pounds. He's built like a slot receiver. He's big, but he's really shifty and fast. And apparently he makes one-handed catches look easy. I, I guess he was doing that all through training camp. And another true freshman that is most likely going to be getting some playing time this year is Keandre Lambert Smith. Now he is kind of the complete opposite of Parker Washington. You know, he is six foot one. He's close to 180 pounds. He's a type of guy that can high point the ball in between defenders. Um, a lot of people are saying he kind of reminds them of like a Chase Claypool. Um, in a sort of way, to where you know he's just thick. He's he's really well built. He's tall. He can go out and out muscle people. Um, in the red zone, you know he's just another one of those freakish, freakishly athletic, gifted players. To where, if he can just learn the fundamentals at the wide receiver position, and you know, just learn how to you know create space for himself within running routes and everything, he just overall looks like a really good wide receiver coming out of high school. He's a four or five star recruit. I can't, I forget, I forget the actual number, but he's a four or five uh, re- recruit from last year. So he just looks like another weapon that this Penn State offense desperately needs, and that can help this team going forward as the season progresses. Now moving on to the Penn State's offensive line. Now, from the looks of it, this looks like an offensive line that can potentially be the best in the Big Ten and one of the best in the country overall. Out of their five starters, four of them as seniors, all five have started games um, in the past for Penn State. So this is probably the f- one of the first times, not the first time in the James Franklin era that you know we can confidently going into the season and say that this you know a Penn State offensive line is not just one of the best in the Big 10 but one of the best in the country um you know ever since the sanction started back 8 years ago um, at Penn State, you know, their offensive line, that depth suffered the most out of all the sanctions and penalties that, you know, were implemented on the football team. Uh, that just that position alone was just hurt the most. Their offensive line play suffered horrendously for the first couple years in the James Franklin era and has, has progressively and progressively gotten better, but they still fell short when playing the likes of Ohio State. And Wisconsin and Michigan and Michigan State and those just bigger teams overall. You know their offensive line really struggled against those types of teams. But you know last year and then more specifically this year, obviously, I think we can all go in confidently saying that we should not have a problem um, at the offensive line position on this Penn State roster. You know, like I said earlier, they are just loaded um, with seniors. All five of them have gotten starting reps. Um, in games before so just I think this is the first time and seems like forever that we can go in to a season confidently saying that this Penn State offensive line can match um, the offensive lines of the Ohio States and the Michigans and the Wisconsin's of the Big Ten so I'm really looking forward to seeing how well this offensive line can stack up against those types of teams this year so, now moving on to the defensive side of the ball. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the loss to Micah Parsons with him declaring for the NFL draft and opting out this year, it's a big loss for um, this defense. But overall, you know, even with losing four other starters to the draft this year on the defensive side as well, they are looking really good up front, um, especially in their front seven still. You know, you have PJ Mustafa, Antonio Shelton. And Shaka Tony on the uh, defensive line, you know, really good, solid, proven guys. You know, I don't think they're going to light up the stat book with a lot of sacks. But what this defensive line can do so well, as they did last year, was they stopped the run. They were top five in rushing yards against last year. But I think it's really going to be key for this defensive line to where they don't have to get the sacks that Penn State, this team, has used to seeing in years past. What they have to do is just get pressure on the opposing quarterback, make him throw it early, um, you know, get him rattled, make him feel uncomfortable in the pocket. And I really think that's the goal for this defensive front this year. You know, not so much the stats and the sacks and the forced fumbles and everything like that. I think it's more the intangible things that come with just getting a uh, consistent pressure on the quarterback. As long as they can do that. And, you know, make the quarterback scramble around the pocket, make him feel uncomfortable in the pocket. I think that's the goal for this defensive front this year, this defensive line. And if they can do that, I think this defense is more than capable of at least slowing down the potent offenses within the Big Ten. Um, At the linebacker position, they are a young group, but they are fast and they are athletic. Um, It's led with Jesse Lacuda. Um, He's going to be a first-year starter. He's a junior. Um, Alice Brooks, uh, he is a redshirt senior. Um, He will be playing the Mike linebacker position. And then you have sophomore Brandon Smith. Now, a lot of people within the Penn State community um, are touting him like a lesser man's Micah Parsons, meaning that he has all the capabilities and the intangibles of a Micah Parsons. He just hasn't proven that on the field so far because he didn't get hardly any playing time last year. So we'll just have to see how he performs and how he progresses throughout the year. But according to a lot of people that, you know, cover Penn State football a lot, this Brandon Smith kid, uh, he looks like the real deal. So, you know, although losing Micah Parsons is a big um, loss for this Penn State team, um, you know, with the talent they have at the linebacking position and all the depth they have, they really shouldn't be hurting all that much um, at the uh, linebacker position. Now, moving on into the secondary. Now, as we all know, last year, this secondary got torched by the likes of Minnesota, Ohio State, and even Indiana last year. You know, I was actually at that Indiana-Penn State game at Beaver Stadium uh, last season. And just from watching that game in person, I mean, that secondary was just god-awful. They allowed three plays, three passing plays of 40 yards or more in that game. And, you know, just Indiana's quarterback. I mean, I can't think of who the guy's name was last year but he was just lighting that secondary up you know left and right all over the field so this year you know starting a quarterback um do you ever hear of the guy named Joey Porter um if you haven't heard of him uh he was a linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers former coach of the Steelers as well pretty good player well his son Joey Porter Jr will be making his starting debut um, at the cornerback position um, against Indiana. I'm hearing a lot of good things about Jerry Porter Jr. Um, I know he got redshirted last year. Apparently there were rumblings last year while he was not happy, to say the least, of getting redshirted. He let his displeasure be known to the coaching staff. But I guess, you know, at the end of training camp this year, just a couple weeks ago, he came up to James Franklin and just flat out admitted like, hey, I was wrong. I was not ready, but now I am. So I'm really looking forward to see how well he does in his starting debut. Um, At the safety position, they have Lamont Wade Sr., who, you know, he was a traditional cornerback at first. Um, James Franklin, a really smart move by him. You know he he saw you know that he wasn't liking what he was seeing with Lamont Wade being a defensive back, so he moved him to play safety. And he was playing lights out last year at the safety position. You should not worry anything about Lamont Wade in his play. Um, Jaquan Brisker he will be playing right beside Lamont Wade as the other safety. Now I'm not going to lie to you guys. I don't know much about Jaquan Brisker. Um, haven't really heard that much about him. But his backup is Jonathan Sutherland. Um, now he played, you know, a pretty good role in the defense last year. Um, came on the field a couple times in key situations, and he really made the most of his opportunities. So for this Jawan Brisker kid to beat out Jonathan Su- uh, Sutherland uh, has to be telltale that you know this is a pretty good decision by this Penn State coaching staff staff to start him over over Sutherland. So now, with that breakdown that I just gave you, you know what does this Penn State football team, what are they going to look like as the season um, rolls on with Indiana and how they progress throughout the year? Because with the way the schedule is for the big with the big 10 right now, they're only playing eight regular season games. So in order for a big Ten team to even be considered for the college football playoff, you know, it's almost without a doubt that, you know, any team from the Big Ten, Penn State included, you know, if they want to make it all the way to the playoffs, you know, they're going to have to win out. They're going to have to go undefeated in Big Ten play and obviously win the Big Ten championship to go along with that undefeated regular season to even sniff a berth into the college football playoff. So obviously that all starts this Saturday when they go on the road against Indiana The only way Penn State's going to lose this game against Indiana is if they beat themselves. You know, they turn the ball over, stupid penalties, you know, bad breakdowns on defense, miscommunication. So if Penn State can avoid just beating themselves, you know, costly errors and everything like that, I believe Penn State should have no problem with beating this Indiana team. Um, My final score for that Indiana-Penn State game is 31-20 Penn State. But I think in the first half, this game is going to be very close. Just because both teams are going to be sloppy, um, I don't think you're going to see the best out of both um, Penn State and Indiana. I think it's going to be a really tight game going into halftime, like maybe 13-10, 17-14, something like that. But then ultimately, I just think Penn State's going to be too much um, for Indiana to handle. And in the second half, you're going to see Penn State opening up more on offense, on defense. They're just going to become, you know, more stingy. So yeah, that's where I get, you know, my final score of Penn State 31, Indiana 20. Penn State starts off the year one and zero, and then they face ultimately their toughest matchup of the year in Week Two against Ohio State on October 31st in primetime on ABC, and that should be one hell of a game to watch, and I will be giving a really well-in-depth preview of that game on next week's episode. Don't you worry about that one, because that one is going to be Penn State's Super Bowl of the season right there in Week 2. If they can find a way to beat this Ohio State team and improve in 2-0, I really can't see this team losing another game and ultimately making it to the uh, college football playoffs. But it all rides in Week in week 2 against this Ohio State team. So I am really looking forward to that matchup. Because I think with Penn State playing Ohio State in Week 2, that gives the Nittany Lions the best chance to beat the Buckeyes. Just for the fact that they catch this Buckeye team in Week 2. And as we all know in football, it's the ultimate team sport. It takes a while for any team Um, to get acclimated with each other, to develop chemistry and all that good stuff. So if Penn State, if there's ever a perfect opportune time for this Penn State team to beat the Buckeyes, it's going to be this season without a 100% doubt in week two of the Big Ten schedule. And speaking of tough schedules, the Pittsburgh Steelers face probably their toughest test of their 2020 schedule outside of division rival the Baltimore Ravens, in this week seven matchup against the undefeated Tennessee Titans, who are 5-0 and in the year as well, coming off a dramatic overtime win against the Houston Texans. But before I get into that matchup, I just want to first talk a little bit about that complete dominant performance the Steelers had against the Cleveland Browns last Sunday. I mean, it just started right from the get-go. You know, the Steelers' offense drove down the field and was able to score in that opening drive with a field goal, and then just... You knew the Steelers were going to win whenever Minka Fitzpatrick, on Cleveland's second offensive play of the game, had that pick six to put the Steelers up 10-0 earlier in the first quarter. And it's just you had that feeling that the Steelers from that point on were just going to completely trounce the Cleveland Browns. And that's exactly what happened with that 38-7 to win. And just overall, I mean, it was just a complete one-sided performance um, on the Steelers. On offense, they were moving the ball when they needed to. They were doing it um, through the run game. Uh, Big Ben, you know, he only threw 22 times, um, just a little over 160 yards um, in the air. You know, James Conner, he had a really good performance, 20 carries for every 100 yards and a touchdown, average five yards per carry. Uh, Benny Snell, when he was called upon, he scored a touchdown, had a a couple of big runs on third and fourth down. Um, And the defense, I mean, what more can you say about that Steelers defense? And what did I tell you from last week, folks? If you play a man coverage with this with the team that the Steelers have on defense, if you do that, this defense, more often than not, is on shut down the opposing offense. And what do you know? The Steelers finally played man coverage um consistently for four quarters. And you know what? This is the performance that you get. You know, the Steelers had another three to four sack game. They had two turnovers. Like I mentioned earlier, that one was a pick six with Minka Fitzpatrick. And it's another thing of playing man coverage. You noticed Minka Fitzpatrick a lot in that Browns game. And you know why? Because he was given the opportunity with the play calling on defense to make plays. So, like I said last week, it wasn't, you know, you haven't heard of Minka Fitzpatrick the first four games of the season, not because he's playing um well. It wasn't because of that, it was just for the fact that he was put into a situation where he wouldn't be noticed, because he was playing so deep, um, you know, 20 yards in the backfield, or, you know, beyond the line of scrimmage, I should say. So, you know, he's getting involved now, you know, the Steelers front seven, they still got their sacks, Um, they forced a lot of quarterback pressures, They they made Baker Mayfield look like a sham of himself, I mean, he was just... Complete and utter garbage in that game. Got replaced um, midway through the third quarter or fourth quarter, I should say. And it just was not a pretty game for the Cleveland Browns, but it sure in the hell was a pretty game to watch as a Steelers fan. Now, although that game last Sunday went completely uh, the Steelers' way, now that win did not come without a key loss on defense as they lost starting linebacker Devin Bush uh for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. And I cannot begin um to tell you guys how just how devastating that is for the Steelers defense. I mean, he was a guy who he played every snap on the field up until the point where he got hurt. Uh he he was just a guy, you know, he can play in every situation you ask him to as a linebacker. He can blitz, he can stop the run and fill the gap. He can pass cover. Uh, he can cover tight ends and running backs, even slot receivers. Um, you know when he when he has to. Uh, he's just a complete linebacker all around who flies across the field. He makes plays and everything. So this is just a very bad loss for the Steelers defense. You know not only all that, but he was the signal caller for that Steelers defense as well. You know he wore the green dot on the helmet. You know he relayed all the signals to the uh, defense and everything. And you know, not only what they have to fill the talent gap that Bush that Bush had on this defense, they also have to fill the communication standpoint as well. Now his backup, Robert Spillane, um, he played really well in Bush's absence I mean he made a couple big plays in the backfield Made a couple monster hits on um, The Cleveland Browns running backs and tight ends One particularly to Austin Hooper Where it was a little screenplay to him And Spillane just right at the line of scrimmage As soon as um, Austin Hooper caught it I mean he flat out just leveled him So I loved what I seen from Robert Spillane In just a little over the half um, Half of the game that he played So you know We're really gonna see what this kid is made of. You know, he was an undrafted rookie in 2018, who was first picked up by the Titans. Um, They let him go, and then the Steelers picked him up. He was been on their practice squad for the past year, year and a half. Um, Finally made the team this year, and now he gets to prove to everybody, including himself, you know, what he's really made of. But I did like what I saw of that kid last Sunday in the limited time he had um, playing against the Browns, and it's just gonna be a really tough. Um, test to see how well he does with the likes of this uh, Titans offense and Derrick Henry in particular. You know, can he um, fill a talent gap that Bush had? No, but I think um, he's just just good enough to where he won't hurt the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. I think he's going to be you know an average to above average linebacker. Um, but he's surrounded with some of the greatest talent. Um, In the whole NFL uh, uh, defensively. So I don't think, you know, he's going to hurt this team that much um, with the likes of, you know, just Watt and Dupree and Hayward and Vince Williams and Mink and Fitzpatrick and all those guys surrounding him. So I think the Steelers, if they can just um, minimalize uh, uh, Spillane's inabilities and maximize um, what he does well, I think the Steelers shouldn't really miss that much on defense. However, though, you know, losing a guy like Devin Bush, uh, the Steelers team, they are going to suffer because of that. You know, you can't, like I said, you can't replace a talent like Devin Bush. You can only hope to minimize his backups' mistakes. So that's what the Steelers gonna to have to do with Spillane. We'll just have to wait and find out what this kid is really made of. But like I said, though, from what I've seen, just in the one half that he played against the Browns he looked like he's capable of filling that gap that Devin Bush has ultimately left. So going back uh, into previewing this Steelers-Titans matchup in Week 7. Now Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. Now he has been one of the top uh, quarterbacks in the league since he came to Tennessee last year at a trade where his record is something like 14-4. He's a top 10 passer in passing yards. Quarterback efficiency, passer rating, touchdown to interception ratio, and the list goes on and on on how well Ryan Tannehill has improved under under Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee offense. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know Tennessee has this really good running game with Derrick Henry and that offensive line. I mean, when you have a running back like Derrick Henry who's running the ball twenty to twenty five times a game. And gaining damn near 150 200 yards rushing um, seems like almost every game. You know, it's really easy to be a uh, really easy to be a quarterback in this league when you have a running back like Derrick Henry and an offensive line um, like the Titans have. So I think that has a lot to do with how well Ryan Tannehill is playing. Now, yes. Last week was a good um, example of how well Ryan Tannehill can do throwing the ball. You know, I think he threw it well over thirty times. You know, he was really good w- with handling the pressure, being down in the fourth quarter. You know, just those game-winning drives that quarterbacks have to have, and you know, he can do that. Ryan Tannehill can put a get, uh, put a team on his back um, if he has to and lead them to a win. However, though, I think that if you take Derrick Henry, and that Titans running game out of the equation, and you force him to be a true pocket passer, meaning that, you know, play action doesn't come into a factor. The running game doesn't come into a factor. You know, if Tannehill, if he's down by, you know, a score or two late in the game, and, you know, they can't rely on Derrick Henry, where he just have to drop back and pass, and the defense knows that they're just going to drop back and pass, you know, play action doesn't come into a factor or anything like that. I don't think Ryan Tannehill can beat the Steelers' defense. I I really don't. You know, Ryan Tannehill, when throwing um, more than 35 times in a game, he's only won two games. That's it, guys. Ryan Tannehill has only two wins when throwing the ball more than 35 times in a game. That is it, folks. So I just think that if the Steelers, if they can win this matchup with Derrick Henry and that offensive line... They can stuff him and can keep him in check and force Ryan Tannehill to be a pure pocket passer with no play action or anything. I think the Steelers win this game without a doubt. Now obviously that is much easier said than done because I know I've been raving all year about how well the Steelers defense is with it stopping the run, but this is their true test right now. If they can hold Derrick Henry to under 100 yards, if they can hold this Titans rushing attack to under 100 yards altogether... I think they come out winning this game, um, not easily. It's not going to be a cakewalk, but I think that they win this game without a doubt if they can stop this Titans rushing attack. Because I still don't believe that if you force Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball 40 times, that he's going to win a game for you, especially in big games like they're playing against um, the Steelers here in Week 7. So if the Steelers, if they can stop the run, force Tannehill to To throw the ball 35-40 to times this Sunday, take the play-action pass out of their game plan, it favors the Steelers winning by a long shot. But some other weapons that the Steelers defense has to be um, worried about right now is A.J. Brown and Jarnu Smith, uh, the Titans tight end that they got this year. Um, you know, the loss of Devin Bush and having Robert Splaine in, I can easily see the Titans attacking the middle of that field because, um, Devin Bush, you know, he's the one who covered all the running backs and tight ends. So Robert Splaine's going to have to take that role in coverage as well. So will he be able to match up, um, with the likes of Derrick Henry in the backfield? Um, not only stuff in the run, but, you know, having him do running back screens and stuff like that. Can he sniff those out and stop them? Can he stop Janu-, uh, Janu Smith running routes in the middle of the field and blanketing him and covering him r- really well? So I really expect the Titans to come out early, hitting the middle of the field to their tight end Janu Smith. Um, now the Steelers, they don't have to game plan really well in how to limit Robert Splaine from being matched up one-on-one with Janu Smith. You know, whether they, ha- whether they have Terrell Edmonds or Minka Fitzpatrick kind of covering over the top to prevent that big play, that seam play down the middle. And it's going to be one tough game plan to stop A.J. Brown. You know, do they cut? Co- do they double cover him? Do they put him up one-on-one with Joe Hayden or Steven Nelson? Um, I mean, that's something that the Steelers coaching staff, they're going to have to take a long, hard look into stopping those two um, other weapons that Titans offense has. But overall, I just really do think that it's going to come down to the Steelers front seven versus the Titans um Offensive line and Derrick Henry, if they can stop that rushing attack, I think everything else, um, you know, comes a little bit easier to the Steelers' defense and pass coverage, and that they'll find a way to ultimately win um, if they stop this Titans' um, ground game. Now, looking at the offensive side to the Steelers, now I've been right on this since day one, guys. It was a work in progress for this offense, the Steelers offense, to find its groove and to get them to a rhythm. And I don't think we have to say that anymore. This Steelers offense has hit its stride. They have found its identity. And that identity is you run the ball with James Conner and Benny Snell. You get that going. You get that offensive line going into a rhythm as well, as far as the run game is concerned. And then that just opens up to endless possibilities with the best wide receiver core in the NFL with Juju Smith-Schuster, the emerging Chase Claypool, the Mapletron, as some call him. And then you have, you know, Deontay Johnson. He looks like he's coming back this week. And then you have James Washington as well. And then you just throw in Eric Ebron for, you know, uh, passes down the middle of the field too. So, I just think the Steelers offense is clicking on all cylinders right now. They are coming all together. Chemistry wise, they are looking really well. Big Ben knows what routes they're running. Um, the wide receivers know when to break out of their routes and to help Ben Roethlisberger when he's scrambling out of the pocket and everything. I just think the Steelers offense, no, they're not putting up ungodly numbers and everything. Big Ben's not throwing for four touchdowns and 300 yards um, at all this year, but he doesn't need to without how well um, the Steelers' skill position players are playing. So this Steelers' offense, I'm not concerned about them as well. You know, if Houston, if they can put up damn near 40 points against this Titans' defense, I think the Steelers can put up the same exact number of points um, against the Titans' defense, if not more. Um, if the Steelers, if the Steelers need to. Uh, I just have all the confidence and big bet in this offense. Um, You know, just put up points against any team. Um, They can march down the field when they need to and when they have to to put up points. Um, I'm just just not concerned about the Steelers offense um, as of right now. They are just clicking. Um, They are firing all cylinders. And I just like the progression of how the Steelers offense has evolved from week one until now. And I think it's only going to get better from here. And, you know, I'm, you know, let's say the Titans defense, let's say they stop James Carr in this running game. I have all the confidence in the world that a big Ben, if he's forced to throw the ball 30 to 35 times, even 40 times a game. He's more than capable of putting up the passing yards and putting up the necessary points on the board just with the weapons he has around him to work with in order to do that. So I am not at the least bit concerned about um, the Steelers offense going into this matchup against Tennessee. I am more concerned about how well this defense for the Steelers is going to match up against Derrick Henry and that offensive line. So if all that being said, guys, you know, it's it's going to be basically a coin flip um, to see who wins this game against the Titans and the Steelers. That's how evenly matched they are overall. That's how talented both these teams are overall. But, you know, st- me being a Steelers fan aside, I think the Steelers are just a little bit better on offense than uh, Tennessee is on defense. I think overall, the Steelers' defense is just a little bit better than the Titans' offense. And I think... And I think that's all they need because although this game is going to be a close one, it's gonna come down to the fourth quarter late in the fourth quarter. I think the Steelers, they ultimately come out on top and they improved a six and no for the first time since nineteen seventy-nine with a twenty-four to twenty-one win over the Titans in week seven to remain undefeated heading into their week eight matchup against division rival the Baltimore Ravens. Now, as I said in last week's episode, folks, that the Steelers were entering their toughest point in the schedule facing the Browns at home and then the Titans and the Ravens on the road. Now, I said in last week's episode as well that the Steelers can go if they can go two and one in this three game stretch that they are looking really good um, as the season goes on. And I still believe that to this day. You know, the Steelers, as much as it would suck for them to lose against the Titans, they can afford to lose against Tennessee. But they can't afford to lose against Baltimore. So I think even if the Steelers, if they wound up up losing against the Titans this Sunday, it wouldn't be the end of the world. They need to beat Baltimore uh, next Sunday if they want to win this division. So they already accomplished one check checkmark um, in those three games with uh, beating the Browns handily, if I do say so myself. Um, so, you know, they go into this Tennessee Titans matchup. You know, if they win, great. They remain undefeated. I think they remain undefeated by beating Tennessee. But if they don't, it's okay, guys. Really, it really is okay. But they need to beat Baltimore. I cannot stress that enough. If they can beat Baltimore in Week 8 on the road. They play them at home um, on Thanksgiving Day. So if they can beat the Ravens at Baltimore next Sunday, boy, does that ever increase the Steelers' likelihood of winning that division, especially with their remaining schedule, because they still play Cincinnati twice. They play Cleveland another time. They play the Redskins still. Um, I mean, they just, um, they play a lot of uh, easy teams um, that they match up well against um, in the latter uh, part of the season. So if they can just go 2-1 and one in this three-game stretch that they're in right now, which is their uh, toughest part of their schedule, they can go 2-1 and one, like I said. They'll be in really good shape for whenever the end of the regular season comes around and to the start of the playoffs. So, you know, yes, it would be awesome to see the Steelers win against Tennessee, but if they don't, that's fine, but they have to be Baltimore, and I just cannot stress that enough. So if all that being said, I think that's a wrap for this edition of Montreal Madness. Make sure to subscribe to my podcast on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. Make sure to give me a follow on Facebook and on Twitter, at Montreal Madness. And until next week, guys, have a great weekend.